Chapter twenty five of the Sorcery Club by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter twenty five Curtis in a New Role. In an instant, Lillian Rosenberg had decided the course she would adopt. What a disgusting thing to do! she indignantly exclaimed. I wouldn't have believed it of Shiel. The idea of forcing me to give evidence, of forcing me to save the situation for the sake of the woman he thinks he loves, I shan't do it. And she proved as good as her word. Apart from her importance as a witness, considerable interest attached to her on account of her appearance, and she was infinitely more attractive than any of the women who had hitherto appeared in the witness box, though many of them were so-called society beauties you are wrong was the look which shiel read in h v sevening's eyes as lilian rosenberg took the oath she is on our side but simple as shiel was in many ways he knew women better than the lawyer and the exceedingly sweet expression lilian rosenberg had assumed which he knew to be quite foreign to her filled him with misgivings nor was he mistaken the evidence she gave was entirely in favour of the trio the case for the prosecution was concluded for the defence gerald kirby k c resorted to satire he characterized the whole proceedings as the most absurd heard in any court for the past two centuries and wondered only that it had been possible to procure a counsel for such a ridiculous prosecution even though he remarked spirits such as have been specified by the prosecution do exist which is extremely dubious there has never been yet produced any reliable corroborative evidence respecting them and the prosecution has wholly failed to prove that it is through the medium of these spirits that the modern sorcery company have worked their spells the marvellous feats that we have all seen performed in cockspur street have been accomplished as the defendants have all long stated through will sheer will-power and nothing else and i intend producing evidence to show that the secret of the wonderful efficacy of all the charms and spells sold by the sorcery company lies in will-power too whenever they have been consulted with regard to the purchasing of a spell the firm have invariably pointed out this fact to the purchasers carefully explaining at the same time that the rings lockets and other articles sold to them were merely to assist them in concentration it is ridiculous to suppose that such trivial articles could have produced of themselves such calamities as the witnesses for the prosecution attributed to them but of course you did not believe the statements of such witnesses how could you how could you expect anything but falsehood from women who upon cross-examination had owned that their object in obtaining the spells was a far more dangerous object than they had at first led you to suppose they sought spells that would do evil and that evil was not accomplished now i ask you if the firm worked their spells through the instrumentality of evil spirits for it is assuredly only evil spirits that are associated with sorcery would not the spells they sold naturally have brought about the sinister results for which they were required 
undoubtedly they would and they failed to produce the desired effect simply because their efficacy depended not on spirit agency but on human will-power which power one could only too plainly see the society ladies who had witnessed for the prosecution did not possess it may be asked why the defendants if they do not accomplish their spells through black magic style themselves the sorcery company and so mislead the public obviously they do so purely for advertisement the sorcery company is an attractive title a catchy title and for this reason which is surely a legitimate one since it is strictly in accordance with the prevailing custom of advertisement the firm of hamar curtis and kelson adopted it they did not expect they were not so extraordinarily foolish as to expect any one would take them literally they thought as you and i think that sorcery cannot be taken seriously that it is confined to fairy tales and that as a fairy tale it is potent only in the nursery this was the gist of the counsel's speech for the defence a number of witnesses then gave evidence for the defendants and when the prosecuting counsel rose it was only too evident that he was pleading for a lost cause the court with ill-concealed derision barely accorded him a hearing two hours later the meteor always the first in the field when sensations crop up headed the first column of their front page with collapse of the sorcery case crushing speech by gerald kirby k c acquittal of the defendants the judge so the meteor reported expressed himself in absolute agreement with the defending counsel the action he said ought never to have been brought it was sublimely ridiculous to accuse any one of being in league with forces in the existence of which no sane person could possibly believe shiel was in despair all chance of saving gladys seemed to be fast disappearing he telephoned to her and was answered by miss templeton gladys she said had gone out with hamar who had motored down to the cottage the moment the trial was over and the verdict known i wish to god we had won the case shiel observed so do i miss templeton replied and so did gladys she regards her position now as absolutely hopeless tell her not to lose heart shiel answered hurriedly if i can't find another means i'll but miss templeton rang off and he spoke to the wind full of wrath against lillian rosenberg he went round to see her and met her just as she was entering her house i've come to see you for the last time he announced after the way you behaved in court we can no longer be friends i don't understand she said in a rather faltering voice what have i done only perjured yourself shiel retorted the tale you told the judge was very different to the tale you told me therefore it is impossible for us to continue our friendship i could never have anything to do with a woman whose word i can't rely upon whose character i scorn whom i despise and he was going to add detest but checked himself and unable to trust himself in her presence any longer he gave her a glance of the utmost contempt and wheeling around walked quickly away as in a dream lillian rosenberg went upstairs to her pillow and throwing herself on the bed buried her face in the pillow and indulged in a fit of crying it was not the thought of losing shiel that was so painful to her she might have grown reconciled to that it was the thought of losing his esteem most people would agree with her would assure her she had done the right thing in looking after number one 
what after all is perjury she argued nearly everyone in this world perjure themselves at one time or another certainly all women but it was not the opinion of the majority she cared about it was the respect of the one the respect she had wilfully and spitefully sacrificed was it too late to recover it with regard to gladys she was very sceptical the reluctance to accept hamar as her future husband she still believed to be all pretense and she felt convinced that gladys in her heart of hearts was only too glad to get the chance of marrying any one so rich this being so she could not bring herself to think she had done sheil any actual wrong gladys would never marry him the only person she had harmed was herself she had lied and sheil was not the sort of man to condone an offence of that sort easily still weeping would do no good it would only make her ugly she got up had tea and went out she could think better in the open air it soothed her for some reason or other customs perhaps she strolled towards cockspur street and there ran into one of the few people she particularly wished to avoid kelson he was delighted to see her it's nectar to me to be out again he said jerusalem it was awful in the courts have supper with me it was a fine starlight night the air cool and refreshing and a wild abandonment seized lilian rosenberg she would have supped with the devil had he asked her i've nothing to lose now she said to herself nothing i'll have my fling where shall we go she asked it must be somewhere entertaining why not to my rooms he said we can talk better there we shall be all alone she raised no objection and they were about to step into a taxi when hamar and curtis suddenly put in appearance matt hamar cried seizing his elbow i want a word with you not now kelson protested looking hungrily at lillian yes now hamar said at once i shan't keep you more than five minutes and he dragged kelson away with him the moment they had gone curtis who was obviously the worse for drink addressed lillian kelson won't come back he said hamar is mad with him he says if he ever sees you two together again he'll sack you let me take his place a sudden inspiration came to her there were one or two things she badly wanted to know and with a bit of coaxing curtis in his present state might tell her anything she would try all right she said i'll come they got into the taxi and curtis as far as his fuddled senses would allow made violent love to her after supper they had supper in his rooms he grew a deal more amorous she let him sit close beside her she let him put his arm round her waist but before she let him kiss her she struck her bargain no she said thrusting him away not just yet that can come later if you are good i want you to tell me something first about this marriage of mr hamar and miss martin is it likely to come off is it likely curtis said with a stupid leer is it likely not much leon means nothing he only wants the fun of being engaged to a pretty girl like i watched fun with you nothing more then he'll throw her over after a while after he gets what he wants to get and suppose she proved different to what he expects after he passes stage seven that will be all right curtis said giving her waist an emphatic squeeze everybody will be all right then you and matt 
for example an i n whiskey stage seven what do you mean why don't you know curtis gurgled and then a sudden gleam of intelligence came into his watery eyes he added no, i shan't tell you nothing shall make me it's a secret i won't kiss you till you do lillian rosenberg said i'll make you oh no you won't lillian rosenberg cried disengaging herself from his grasp and rising don't you dare touch me i'm going curtis watched her with a helpless grin then he suddenly cried out come back come back i say well will you do as i want lillian rosenberg said i'll do anything anything to please you if only you stay with me she sat down and his arm once again encircled her now she said pushing his face away tell me bit by bit she drew out of him the whole history of the compact with the unknown how in stage five the stage they were about to enter they would have fresh powers conferred upon them their present power that is of working spells and causing diseases being then cancelled how they would obtain supreme power over women when they reached the final stage stage seven and how the compact would be broken and their ruin brought about should either of them marry or should anything happen before this final stage was reached to disunite them lillian could account for a great deal now the uncanny feelings she had always experienced in the building the curious enigmatical shadows she had seen hovering about the doorways and flitting down the passages the extraordinary nature of the feats and spells hamar's mutterings and his fury whenever kelson spoke to her were no longer wholly unintelligible but she must know all she must be most exacting finally she got from curtis everything there was to be got from him and she laughed immoderately when he excused himself on the grounds that it was all leon's doings leon had told him to offer her a little compensation for the loss of her escort and you have compensated me more than enough lillian rosenberg said now you shall have your reward and she kissed him kissed him three times for luck but you're not going he said staggering to his feet and attempting to hold her you're not going till the roshi morning sun shines shoshily in on us oh yes i am she said i've had quite enough of you good-bye and before he could prevent her she had run to the front door and let herself out end of chapter twenty five read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california